morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church. I'm glad you're with us today. We are continuing on with another installment in our series that we have entitled FAQ. And the whole idea behind this is we're answering some questions that I am frequently asked. And today is no exception. In fact, inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline where I'm headed today, to, today with a number of scripture references that I'll be mentioning as we go along. And the question for today, the frequently asked questions we're going to discuss today is this. What about the people who've never heard about Jesus? I'm asked that all the time. I mean, what about those people? If people come to church, that's one thing. But what about people who've never heard? How does God treat them? And what's our responsibility toward them? And so today I'd like to tell you what the Bible says in answer to this question and some things that have helped me a lot. And uh, I'd love to discuss it with you. So we'll do that. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks or to take some notes and you didn't grab it on the way in, just raise your hand and the ushers will come up and down the aisle and they'll be glad to pass a pen to you so you can take some notes. Um, let me have a word of prayer for us, even as we're getting started, and ask God to bless our time together. <coughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you that your word is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, you care greatly for the people of this world. I pray that today, Lord, you would help us understand um, what we're supposed to think about people who've never heard. And Lord, you give us clear direction and insight. In the wonderful name of Christ our Lord, I pray. Amen. Well, point one on your outline, uh, I had somebody one of the earlier services come up. Point one is really kind of like paragraph one, okay? It's a long point. I just didn't know how else to say this, but I, let me just read it to you, and we'll leave it up on the screen for a while so you can kind of absorb it here. But it just simply says this, none of us will be condemned for what we don't know. All of us deserve to be condemned before God because we violated the moral standards we do know. I say this because sometimes when we talk about the people who haven't heard about Jesus, this is the way that people wrongly present the question. I don't know how Christians can believe in a God that's going to send good people to hell just because they haven't heard about Jesus. I can't tell you how many times people have said that to me. I can't believe you believe in a God who's going to send perfectly good people to hell just because they haven't heard about Jesus. Well, there are a lot of faulty assumptions in that statement. And we spent some time, I wanted to wait on this topic until we covered this in other sessions prior to this, but a couple of weeks, we talk, weeks ago we talked about this. People aren't basically good. The Bible presents that we are all sinners. So God doesn't send any good people to hell. People are judged because of their sins. We are not judged because of what we don't know. We will be judged based on whether or not we violate the moral standards we do have. And this is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 2. God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they'll be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law, they'll be judged by the law they fail to obey. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. So even the Gentiles who don't have God's written law, in other words, they don't have any of the Bible at all, show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. That demonstrates, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. If you underline the words secret life, we all have a secret life. There are things we know we shouldn't have done. There are things we know we should have done and never got around to. All of us have a conscience. Whether or not you've ever read the Ten Commandments, and one of the commandments is, Thou shalt not murder, people know it's wrong to murder. In every culture on earth, whether you've read the Bible or not, you know it. That's wrong. And Paul says, to say that, hey, there's good people 
that just, man, it wouldn't be right for God to condemn them because they're good people. They've never done anything wrong. They just didn't know. No, we know. And we stand condemned before God because we fail to obey the moral standards that we even set for ourselves. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about whether people are basically good or not, but it bears repeating, and it's worth considering. We all set New Year's resolutions, and a few months from now, we'll do it again for 2014. Resolutions that we say that we're going to set for ourselves because we know they're right and it'll be good for us and it's something we really want to do, and then two months later, we've already shattered them all. Anybody else besides me ever struggle with that? Okay, two of you are honest. Okay, but the rest of us all do. Look, we set resolutions for ourselves, and we don't keep them. And that only proves that we aren't the moral people that we'd like to be. We're flawed. And it goes much more, much farther beyond uh, obedience to New Year's resolutions. It goes into all kinds of things about lying and stealing and even murder and adultery. And these things are common in every society on earth. And Paul says, look, God doesn't show favoritism. In fact, when he goes on in Romans chapter 3, he says the law simply shows us how sinful we are. If you have the Bible, it points out you know even more clearly how far off the mark you are. And so to say, well, it wouldn't be right for God to judge people who didn't have the Bible. He says it'd be right for God to judge all of us anytime. In fact, those of us who do have the Scripture even know more clearly how far off the mark we are. Romans 3 again, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And that's why Paul says we need a Savior. That's why we proclaim the good news of Jesus, that God sent his Son into the world to pay the penalty of sin for a whole world full of sinners, you and me. Without a Savior, we're in deep trouble. And we know what's right to do. It only proves all the more quickly that we don't do it. So I want to right out of the box say about the people who haven't heard, don't let anybody tell you that we, the Christians worship a God who wants to send people to hell just because they haven't heard about Jesus. God punishes sin, and we live in a world full of sinners. We're sinners too. And unless someone rescues us from that sin, we will be punished for our sin. Thanks be to God, he sent Jesus Christ to rescue us, to save us from sin and from the judgment that we so richly deserve. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. And that's our answer to that. Secondly, I think it's important to understand that all people can know God exists from the evidence of his creation. When we talk about the people who haven't heard, people go, well, I don't think it's fair that God would punish people. I mean, what if people don't even know God exists? Well, Paul talks about this in Romans 1. And by the way, you can go home this afternoon and read Romans 1, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, and Paul talks about all this at length. I'm just giving you some excerpts here in this outline. Speaking about humanity, here's what he says in Romans 1. People know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything that God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse, and please underline no excuse, for not knowing God. Now we live in a day in which people will completely contradict this and say, "Uh uh-uh, You know, there's no God. There's no reason you would believe in a God. And Paul says, yes, there is. Just look at creation. I mean, you can see God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. This couldn't have all happened by accident. 
Psalm 19 reminds us of the same thing. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. There must be someone who designed all this. This is too marvelous. This couldn't have all happened by accident. A great book that you might want to read, you can write this in the margin, Lee Strobel wrote a book, The Case for, the Crea- the Case for a Creator. He also wrote a book, The Case for Christ, and I think he's a, Lee Strobel has turned out to be a wonderful defender of the faith, but he wrote a book called uh, The Case for the Creator, for Creator, that everything didn't just happen by accident. And he points out a number of things that are important for us to consideration here, for us to consider. He talked about the precise uh, rotation of the earth, and that because our earth rotates, our days are 24 hours long. Well, if we slowed it down by 10 times, our days were 10 times longer, 240 hours long, and the nights were 240 hours long, for instance. If we just slowed down the rotation of the earth, we'd all burn up or freeze to death, depending on what side of the earth we were on. If the earth's crust was just a little bit thicker, had a, little bit, a few feet thicker with more metals in it, all the free oxygen in the atmosphere would bond with that metallic content, and animal life would cease to exist. If the oceans were just a few feet thicker, a few feet deeper, and then, uh, well, then all the, there would be so much carbon dioxide absorbed from the air that plants couldn't exist. The earth is tilted on its axis. It's not just straight up and down. It's tilted. That allows for seasons. So there's growing seasons and time when the land is fallow. It allows the soil to regenerate and be refurbished. We're the right distance from the sun. Venus is too close, it's too hot, Mars is too far away, it's too cold. The Earth is the right size. If it was the size of the moon, well, the atmosphere couldn't be maintained because the gravity would be too low. If it was the size of the sun, well, it would have such strong gravity it would crush us. So, if you don't believe in God, we just happen to be on a planet that happens to be the right distance, spinning at the right speed, has the right thickness, so it has the right amount of gravity, happens to be tilted at the right angle, so we have the right seasons. And all that happened just by accident. Of all the billions and billions of things that could go wrong, none of them did. It just happened to be just right. That would be a miracle. Yeah. That's what the Bible says, that God miraculously did this. Ravi Zacharias, who's another well-known apologist for the Christian faith, makes a comparison this way, and he says, you know, if you're going to believe that everything happened by accident, he said it'd be like if our astronauts went to the moon, and they landed on the moon, and as they were collecting moon rocks, they go over a hill, or rise on the, on the planet, and they come upon a cardboard box, just a plain old ordinary cardboard box. And they find it there, and they bring it back to Earth, and we all go, wow, we must not have been the first people there. And there's nothing else they find, just rocks and this cardboard box. We go, there must have been intelligent life that landed on the moon. How else could you explain this? Because there's a box. It could have never formed just by accident. But then they get into their spaceship and fly back to Earth where there are billions and trillions of life forms coexisting in all sorts of food chains and there are ecosystems and there's all kinds of balance to nature. And we go, yep, random chance. This could never be explained. But the whole earth with all its diversity of life coexisting in perfect balance, oh, random chance. Easy to explain. I mean, you do realize if God doesn't exist, then we are forced to come to terms with the fact that we have to believe that consciousness came from a bunch of elements 
that were never conscious. All living things came from things that were dead by accident. Our reason came from things that know nothing by accident. And it all happened together at the same time, the right distance from the sun on a planet tilted at the right axis with the right amount of gravity by accident. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In Chinese, Russian, English, anywhere, there is a God. We are without excuse to say there is no God. So what would I say? What about people who have never heard? Is it reasonable to assume that people should know there is a God? Yes, and Paul says we are without excuse. It's also important to note that the Scripture tells us that anyone who asks, who then says there must be a God and cries out to God and said, I want to know you, that if we seek him, we will find him. How do I know? In Jeremiah 29, 13, the Lord says, when you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. Jesus said in Matthew 7, keep on asking, you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, you'll find. Keep on knocking, the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Really? Yeah. The Bible's full of all sorts of instances like this. Sometimes God even sends angels to help that process along. There's an amazing story in Acts chapter 10, a person who was outside the faith, a Gentile, a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. The Romans were occupying Israel at the time uh, when Christ walked the face of the earth and was crucified and rose from the dead and the gospel started going out. And this uh, man named Cornelius was stationed there. Well, he had prayed to God and he wanted to do what was right and God heard his prayers. An angel appeared to him and said, you need to go send for a man named Peter, one of the disciples. He'll tell you what you need to know about God and how to be right with him. So Cornelius sent some messengers to go get Peter. A few days later, Peter came to him um, because he answered the call, and God prepared him for this by sending Peter a vision so he'd be ready to go with him. And when he arrived, Cornelius had all his friends and family, and they were all waiting. And here's the story he told Peter. It's at the bottom of your page, and when I'm reading, you'll have to flip over as we keep going. The paragraph kind of wraps around. Four days ago, Cornelius said, I was praying in my house about the same time, about three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. And Cornelius went on and he said, so I sent for you at once and it was good for you to come. Now we're all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. And Peter told him all about Jesus and how God had sent his son into the world to pay the penalty for people's sins. And if we put our trust in him, our sins will be forgiven. We'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and have power to live life as we always wanted to. And the Holy Spirit came upon them right then. It was amazing. What about the people who've never heard? If they're seeking out for God, God will send angels if he has to, if he has to so that people, so they'll be directed where they can hear about Jesus because he's committed the gospel to human beings. If you remember, the shepherds were guided by angels to go find Jesus, the baby Jesus in the manger. Mary was spoken to by an angel, so she'd know that the baby she was giving birth to was the Son of God. In the Old Testament, an angel was sent to close the mouths of the lions when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. And God wants his message to go out, and he wants his people protected. He'll take care of them. 
You go, well, yeah, John, that happened in Bible times. Does that still happen? Well, I think we can trust Billy Graham. I just want to throw that out there. Billy Graham wrote a book a few years ago entitled Angels. Here's a story on page five. The Reverend John G. Patton, a pioneering, pioneering missionary in the New Hebrides Islands, told a thrilling story involving the protective care of angels. Hostile natives surrounded his mission headquarters one night, intent on burning the Pattons out and killing them. John Patton, his wife, and his wife prayed all night during that, well, all prayed all during that terror-filled night, excuse me, that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see that unaccountably their attackers had left, and they thanked God for delivering them. A year later, the chief of that tribe was converted to Jesus Christ. And Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief what had kept him and his men from burning down the house and killing them. And the chief replied in surprise, Well, who were all those men you had with you there? And the missionary answered, There were no men there, just my wife and I. The chief argued that they had seen many men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. They seemed to circle the missionary station, so the natives were afraid to attack. Only then did Mr. Patton realize that God had sent his angels to protect them. What if people hadn't heard? What if God was working? What if he knew their hearts and they were ready and God even sent angels to protect the missionaries so they could hear about Jesus, which they did a year later? What about the people who haven't heard? If people will reach out to the creator God who made the universe, if they come to understand, I can't be here by accident. That's ridiculous. And I know I violate moral laws because I even violate the own resolutions I make for myself. So I must be a sinner. I must be here for a greater purpose, but I don't know what that is. God, if you're out there, would you show me? Yes, I will. And to Cornelius, he sent an angel and said, go send for Peter. Peter will tell you what you need to know. In this case, God sent angels to protect the missionary so those people could know him. What do I believe about people who haven't heard? I believe God wants them to know who he is. I do. And I believe there are mysteries that we will find out in heaven, amazing things. Moses wrote about this in Deuteronomy 29, or spoke about this in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We're not accountable to them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he's revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. You know, I don't know all the mysteries in the world. In heaven, I will, and so will you. And I, you and I will hear stories that will amaze us. I'm not responsible for all that. I am responsible for telling the people I know about Jesus. But if you ask me, what about the people who haven't heard? I believe God wants them to know him. Point three, I also believe that God is righteous and just and kind. And when there is a judgment day, he will be a just and fair judge. And there will be no one who protests. No matter how the judgment goes, we'll go, well, that was right. The Bible says, for the righteous Lord loves justice and the virtuous will see his face. The Lord, that's Psalm, Psalm 11, 7. Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous in everything he does, in everything. He is filled with kindness. It's important for you and me to know that God doesn't want people to go to hell he wants us to turn from our sin. I mean, there's also a myth out there that the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, is an angry God just waiting for you and me to mess up so he can send us straight to hell. 
And he'd love to send perfectly good people there just because they haven't been to church enough. That's what the Christians believe. No, we don't. We believe that we are lost sinners, each and every one. And that God loved us so much, he sent his own son to die in our place. He does not want us to go to hell. He wants us to turn from our sinful ways. He wants us to stop believing stupid things like we all came here by accident and there's no purpose for us. He wants us to stop living selfishly. He wants us to turn from our wickedness and turn to him. That's what the Bible teaches. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, Ezekiel 33, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Romans 2, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you're stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed, and he will be perfectly righteous to judge us. God will never drag anyone kicking and screaming into heaven. I don't want to believe in you. You're coming to heaven whether you want to come or not. It's the exact opposite of what our world would tell you. I mean, we're the ones who are resisting him. He's not resisting us. It's all backwards. 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That's why it's taken so long for Jesus to return. He's giving more time. More time for you and me to tell our friends and neighbors and classmates about Jesus. More time for us to pray for people around the world. More time for missionaries to go into those villages. For Bibles to be translated in languages that people can understand. More time because he wants more people to be saved. And yet when it takes more time, all people do is mock God and say, well, it must not be true if it's true to come back by now. And that brings us to point four. If you and I are genuinely concerned about people who have never heard about Jesus, the worst thing we can do is keep the good news about Jesus to ourselves. I mean, if I'm genuinely concerned, well, what about people who haven't heard about Jesus? Well, we can tell them. Do you know we live at a time in history when more people are alive on the planet than have ever been alive at one time before? And the world population is larger now than it ever was 100 years ago. If we want to tell people about the gospel, the other good news is we have the World Wide Web. We have television. We have radio. We have satellites. We have jet airliners. We can go all around the world now in a very short time. Download the Bible off of a thumb drive. Amazing. There's never been a better opportunity to tell people about Christ. Never been more information available. And with computers, translating the Bible is going faster than it's ever gone. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, Paul says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So now we are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us, and we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I mean, the short answer on what about the people who've never heard? God wants us to tell them. God wants us to tell them. 
But over and over, I run into one objection. Oh, well, yeah, but I don't want to go and force my religion on somebody else. There's a note in your outline proclaiming that Jesus is the only way to God. is not arrogant or self-righteous. But isn't it self-righteous to tell people that our way of believing is the right way? I mean, does it really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere? Yeah, it matters what you believe. I've had conversation after conversation on this issue with people who say, you know, if you line up Buddha and Muhammad and Jesus and Confucius and all these religious leaders and other things, you know, does it really matter which one you pick? Well, yeah, if you line them all up, it matters which one you pick because here's what would happen if you lined them all up. Jesus would step out of the lineup and he would say exactly what he said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one can come to the Father except through me. So if you and I say, well, it doesn't matter which one you believe, well, one of the people that we're supposedly choosing to believe in says it matters. And if he says it matters, it matters. Because if he's in the lineup and he steps forward and says, you, you either got to choose me or everybody else, well, now I have to choose. He didn't leave that option available for us. I mean, Peter made this clear also, one of Jesus' disciples. Peter got that clearly through. Is that what Jesus really said? Yep. Peter and John, when they were told, ordered never to speak again in the name of Jesus, said this, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name, no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So we come and tell people, look, Jesus is the only way. And I really would love it if you go back and listen to some other the messages in this series because we talked about this is why it matters so much that we, and why Christians put so much stock in the resurrection. Jesus is the only person to have ever risen from the dead. A real historical event. If that didn't really happen, then he isn't any different than any other religious leader. But if he really did rise from the dead, then he's who he said he was. He's the son of God, and he can step out of the lineup and say, I'm the only real one. Put your faith in me. And that's what we believe. That's not arrogant. That's not self-righteous. Those are the facts. And that's why we believe it. In fact, in his letter to Titus, here's what Paul said. Look, God saved us not because of the righteous things we had done. So no, don't let anybody tell you, well, Christians just think they're better than everybody else. No, we don't. God saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. To come to Christ is to come and say, God, I need a savior. I can't do this on my own. But I don't want to go over in some other part of the world. or I don't want to go to my friend's house and ram my faith down their throats. Well, I don't want you to either. What I do want to challenge us all to do is to pray for our friends and neighbors. People need Christ. I mean, you've heard now we're going to, we plan to start up extensions in Cloverdale, in, in that part of Montgomery, and over in Wetumpka, in the Wetumpka area. We do. Well, why are we doing that? Because there are a lot of people who aren't going to drive all the way here on Sunday morning and we could take center point, we could take our worship service to them. There were people at Pike Road at 9.30 this morning that were watching this same message. While I'm talking here, they're watching the same message there. We can be in multiple places now and have opportunities for lots of people to hear about Jesus. Is that really necessary, John? Yeah. In a recent survey, 53% of the people in Elmore County here in the Bible Belt, 53%. Profess no religious affiliation. None. Now, it wasn't they were all Baptist or all Methodist or all Catholic or all Protestant. It wasn't that. They said none, not Buddhist, not Muslim, not anything. 
53%. And did you know whether you profess faith in God or not, you're still going to have to deal with death. You're still going to have to deal with addictions. You're still going to have to deal with the challenges that come with marriage and parenting and money and temptation to sin. How are they going to deal with the guilt and the shame that comes when they sin and fail? How are they going to deal with death when they're looking at it head on with a parent that's about to die or they're facing a terminal, terminal diagnosis themselves? How are they going to gain perspective? How are they going to know why they're here? Say God blessed them with a lot of money. How are they going to know what to do with it? We can't take this for granted. We've been given an incredible gift. Forgiveness of our sins through Christ. His Holy Spirit indwelling us, changing us, making us into the people that he's always wanted us to be. And the promise of eternal life in heaven. I mean, who doesn't need to know this stuff? Where are all these people whose lives are perfect apart from God? They've got all the wisdom they need. They're not worried about dying. They're not worried about their sin. They're not trying to medicate away their pain. They're not dealing with addictions or divorce or rebellious kids. Where are all these people? There aren't any people like that. In your neighborhood and mine, in your school and mine, in your family and in mine, are people who need the Lord. And we get the chance to tell them. And that's why we're putting up extensions. That's why I'm talking about a message like this. What about the people who haven't heard? Let's tell them. There's never been a better time. There's never been more resources available. I mean, through the internet, now we can put that image. I can be talking to groups of people here and 35 miles away at the same time. And some of you, if you haven't considered that before, you might be going, are you watching the screens? Well, I can see all y'all who are more than five or six rows back. You're watching the screens anyway, because I'm looking at you and you're looking like this the whole time. Okay. (laughs) You're watching me up there. Who cares if you're watching the screen from 35 feet away or 35 miles away? And the answer is nobody does care. And now we get a chance to tell people about Jesus who would never drive all the way here, but they would drive to an extension in Wetumpka or in Cloverdale. We live in an exciting time. We get a chance to spread the good news all around the world. But are we just going to let it pass? I got to tell you one thing that's really hard. Some of us would pray more earnestly that a kicker would make a field goal in the last two minutes of a ball game than we've ever prayed that our next door neighbors will come to Jesus. Some of us have spent 10 times as much energy trying to invite friends to come to a birthday party than we've ever spent trying to reach out to friends to invite them to church. Y'all, this this shouldn't be that way. There's an urgency that I want us all to embrace. We have opportunities. We have resources. This is God's time for us. Look around this room. There's a lot of people here, but there are empty chairs. Let's fill them up. Would you pray that God would allow you to meet people that you could bring? And people have asked me, what will you do when we fill up all the chairs? We'll get more chairs. We'll start more services. We'll start more extensions where there's lots more chairs. Because we want everybody to know, and how many years will it be till Jesus comes back? I don't know. But right now, he's given us more time, and he's being patient so that more people can come. 
I just wanted you to know what drives us here. None of our elders would ever tell you that we got into this church so we could just have one big church. We all got into this so we could tell as many people about Jesus as we possibly could. So we get people in small groups where they have relationships with others so they can grow. So people would read their Bibles and pray, have a real, authentic, life-changing relationship with God himself. Oh, we want that. I hope you do too. Besides, think of the good news we can tell the whole world. Think of the poor fella somewhere in another part of the world. He's just chained to superstition. And he believes that by the signs of the moon or because of the weather change, he's somehow cursed and God will never love him. And we can come in and bring the good news and go, no, God isn't like that. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. You can know him. It's a website devoted to a whole collection of ministries called New Tribes Missions. I was reading a story on there this last week of a woman who's heartbroken because her daughter died of malaria. She could have been easily healed at a Christian missions hospital. But her uncle, who had lots of power in her village, forbid it. Instead, sent her and her daughter to a witch doctor. He charged a lot of money and made all kinds of, pronounced all kinds of incantations, and the girl died of malaria. The Christians who had a mission hospital could have saved her life. Do you want me to go tell those people? It doesn't matter what you believe. Believe in your silly superstition. Have somebody dance around saying magic words. That'll cure malaria just as straight as antibiotics will. What? That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, why would Christians do this? Because Christians believe that we are not here by accident, that we can think God's thoughts after him, that he has given us reason and intelligence and allowed us to discover through science wonderful cures to help us deal with the curse on this planet. That's why Christians have started hospitals all over the world. And they not only give people medicine, but they give them the good news. This will help you with your physical disease. We also want to tell you the good news that will cure your, the disease of your soul, your sin. We're supposed to keep that to ourselves? Hey, don't want to ram anything down anybody's throat here. Let your child die of something that's curable. I'm not going to tell you. Don't want to push my religion on you. Let her die. Now, if that offends you, and I hope it does, then let's do something about it. This isn't just a, a message for people, though, in Africa or China or some uttermost part of the earth. This is a message for you and me. Are we going to let that neighbor who drinks too much, are we going to let that cousin whose life is in a downward spiral just go without even praying about them, never inviting them to church, don't want to offend them, don't want to push my religion down their throat while they're destroying themselves. Don't want to interrupt their fun. We're just going to stand by? I hope not. Look, God will send an angel to protect a missionary. And I hope we can trust Billy Graham. 
Did he just make the whole thing up? God sent the angel to tell Cornelius to get Peter. But why would God have to send an angel for me to start praying about my brother-in-law or my cousin or somebody in the school, on the school board that's a good friend? Why does he have to send an angel when it's plain as a nose on my face that I can reach out? And that's the challenge I want us to hear this morning. Would you pray with me, please? God, I, I'm not upset when people ask, what about the people who haven't heard? I'm troubled because there are millions of people who haven't heard, and not just people in Africa, and not just people in China, and not just people in India. There are people right here all around us who don't know you. And their lives many times are miserable and horrible. They're lonely and afraid, consumed with guilt and fear, out of control. Their lives ruined by addictions or divorce, horrible sin. And Lord, will we just sit back when you've changed us? Will we just say nothing? Oh God, I pray that you would convict us deeply about this. Lord, you've been so good to us and you've changed us. Some of us right here in this room, you completely transformed our marriages in the last year or two. You've opened our eyes now and you've given us peace when we used to experience worry all the time. You've given us forgiveness when we were filled with hatred before and bitterness controlled us. And God, help us never forget that. And Lord, you, didn't just say, you don't want to just save us. You're given more time so that everyone who will ever come will come. And I pray, Lord, that we will be your hands and your feet and we'll tell our friends and neighbors about you. Oh God, I pray that we will be faithful ambassadors of the good news of Jesus. Hear our prayers, Lord. In just a moment of silence, would you pray for one person right now who is far away from God? I'm not asking you to judge them. I'm simply saying you know that their life is hard and they've even told you, I got nothing going on in my life. I don't even know why I'm here. Would you pray for such a person? Might be your sister or a neighbor, a coworker, or a classmate. Pray that God would touch their heart, that God would send an angel if he has to, that God would send you. Well, God, I think that's your word for us this morning. I thank you for Billy Graham. I thank you you wrote the book on angels. I thank you for that pastor who prayed and you rescued him. And I thank you for reaching that tribal chief a year later. I thank you for sending the angel to Cornelius and I thank you that Peter was faithful to deliver the gospel when he was summoned. I thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for my sins, who rose again on the third day, who ascended into heaven, who told us he'd come back when everything's ready. And I thank you, Lord, that you've delayed so we have one more day to tell people about Jesus. I thank you. Now give us the words to say and give us the right attitude about things. And Lord, help us not be intimidated by people who throw up smoke screens all the time about how this isn't right and it's not fair. Lord, it's only by your mercy that any of us are saved. Help us keep that straight. And Lord, if we are self-righteous, then convict us of that so we quit acting that way. That's sin and it's wrong. And we don't want to be that way. 
Oh, God, I pray that the chairs in this place will be full. I pray we'd have to add services all day long here. Pray that we can start extension after extension and reach lots of people for Christ. I don't know how long it is till you come back. God, I want to be found busy doing your work when you do. One last prayer request. Would you pray now for the leaders of this church? Would you pray for myself and our elders and our staff? Would you pray that God would use us to expand his kingdom as much as he can possibly use us? Lord, thanks for hearing our prayers. We pray them in the strong name of Jesus. And Lord, we can't wait to hear all the stories of all the things you were up to we didn't even know about when we get to heaven. But until that day, Lord, help us be faithful, being ambassadors everywhere we can be. Open our eyes this week, Lord. Open our ears. Give us the right words to say. In the wonderful, marvelous name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.